Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. One of the other stories we've been talking about over the last couple of days is, uh, well, first of all, in a broader sense, the steel industry, and more specifically about what's happening here in Hamilton. And uh, just as we were talking about, well, the federal government's decision, of course, to uh, lift some of the protections uh, that uh, have been in place for the last little while uh, for the steel industry, uh, we get word today that Stelco is actually wanting to merge and acquire new opportunities to expand its company. That's uh, rather startling for some people that are watching the steel industry. Let's ask our guest. Marvin Ryder is with us here from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Uh, thanks for coming in today. Good to see you again. Glad to be here, Bill. Uh, we can talk about the protection stuff in a couple of minutes, because, but I want, let's talk about this. Uh, as, as precarious as the steel industry seems to be and as precarious as Stelco's history in the last four or five years has been, are you surprised that they're in expansion mode? Well, I'm going to say yes. You know, I, I have to take you back to the, the summer of 2017. It was on June 30th that Stelco emerged from creditor protection with a new owner, Bedrock Industries, and led by Alan Kestenbaum and, and David Cheney. And, um, you know, this was a company that obviously spent nearly three years in bankruptcy protection. It's not the healthiest company in the world. Now it emerged without a lot of liabilities. And Mr. Kestenbaum is known as a miracle worker. And by God, he worked his magic. Uh, in the most recent quarter, for instance, uh, sales have remained strong, nearly a half a billion dollars in, in revenue. Uh, volumes have remained strong. Hasn't hurt that the price of steel was also better than it was a year ago. So everything was in his favor. And they made a note to say that they've ended the most recent quarter, that was on March 31st, Bill, with uh, no debt, no significant debt. They have cash and they have liquidity. And then in their press release, this magical sentence that came out that said, Mr. Kestenbaum is uh, investigating merger and acquisition opportunities uh, to add to the company. And I would not be surprised if before this year is out, less than two years after this company was in bankruptcy protection, they may announce the acquisition of something. This is Mr. Kestenbaum's modus operandi. In other words, he, he gets into an industry, he buys a company as a base, gets it good and healthy, and then he starts out and adding more pieces to it to grow it over a 10 to 15 year period, and then he sells it. And by God, he's working his miracle again. Now, if I was a steel worker in Hamilton or in some other parts of this country, the company I would love to hear uh, Mr. Kestenbaum being interested in is Algoma up in the Sioux. Algoma, too, has been in creditor protection. It just recently emerged, but it's not not the healthiest of companies. And uh, I think there'd be a whole lot of Canadian steel workers who would cheer if Mr. Kestenbaum bought it. I, on the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Kestenbaum would be in the market for some kind of an American company, because then suddenly he might have a way to ship Canadian steel to American companies that could process it and then turn it into American steel and get around all those tariffs that Mr. Trump has put out there. But it's I really quite amazing that less than two years after being in bankruptcy protection, Stelco not only is a health company, but is on the road to buy some more. Well, especially because of the speculation that you and I talked about during those dark days with the company. And even when Bedrock moved in here and took it over, the speculation then was, okay, he's going to get it healthy, he's going to sell it. Now he's getting it healthy and he wants to expand it. Yeah, well, keep in mind that Bedrock, Mr. Kestenbaum has a long history in the American business community, but Bedrock itself was only formed in February of 2017. So here's a company that on paper had only existed for three or four months. 
And unfortunately, we saw this once before. So the, the previous time that Stelco went through bankruptcy protection, it emerged and it was owned by, by companies like Appaloosa Capital and what have yeah. you. And they made the announcement. I remember in The Spectator, oh, no, we're here for the long haul. We're here for the long haul. But I looked at their track record and they tended to flip companies within three years. And sure enough, within three years, they flipped the company to U.S. Steel, made their profit and went away. So this was the concern. We just didn't know anything about Mr. Kestenbaum and Mr. Cheney, the two principals. Um, but they have proven to be very solid people so far, and they do seem to be here on that 10 to 15-year horizon. What do they like about this company? That uh, I mean, obviously they bought it at a bargain basement price. We get that. But there, there seems to be an affinity here uh, with, with what he's done here. Well, the biggest part of it, Bill, was that he was able, through the bankruptcy protection process, and say what you will about it, and I understand there's lots of people who don't don't care for Canada's bankruptcy protection process, but he was able to, during that process, eliminate almost all the liabilities of the company. And I would love to buy a century-old company that doesn't have liabilities. Specifically, he was able to unload three liabilities that had been millstones around Stelco's next, the neck. The first one was the pension liability. That actually still hasn't gone away. The pension uh, of Stelco and retirees is still somewhat underfunded, but he put some money into it. They were going to sell land. That would put money into it. But in other words, he didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't mm-hmm. going to be his responsibility. The new, under his rule today, the pension is what's called a defined contribution pension, meaning he, again, will never have any liabilities. He gives you his matching amount, and you invest it. And if you don't invest it, well, it's your problem. It's not my problem. Second thing he unloaded was the environmental liabilities. So we know that Stelco had operated on that property in the North End for over a century, and we just know there are hot spots that have heavy metals and other things. Well, the Ontario government came along and absolved them of responsibility and said, we'll We'll take that on. We'll take the responsibility. If you find bad things, we'll help you clean them up. Great. And then, of course, the third thing the creditor protection was able to do was eliminate all the financial liabilities. U.S. Steel, for good or bad, had loaded up the company with some debt, and all of that debt got written off. So what Mr. Cheney was able to buy was a a strong operating company without those three millstones, and he's been able to take it forward. But one of the criticisms, and this is going back to the days when they were in CCAA, was that this is this was an, a a mill that was out of touch with the with the, the industry at the time? <clears throat> Excuse me. Compared it to ArcelorMittal to Fasco, who were cutting edge. Yep. Stelco was making stuff that they weren't even sure if they could market anymore. So even if they do come out of CCAA, I, we don't know if they're even going to last very long. Well, this turnaround here has been amazing in light of that. Yeah, let me just take one more thing in there. Was that U.S. Steel had had basically shut down all the selling operation and yeah. did all the selling through Pittsburgh. So when you say, okay, now you get to have your own company but you've got to start your own selling department. You have to have new contacts, what have you. Would they be able to sell steel? The one thing I would say is that I think Mr. Cheney correctly realized that in buying Stelco, he was not just buying the Hamilton Works, the, what we know as the Hilton site, but he was buying Nanticoke. And Nanticoke is still a crown jewel. It's a very modern facility. It makes steel very efficiently. Strong workforce there, good work ethic, what have you. And so he had that strong base. Now, the dream here in Hamilton is that they would restart the blast furnace. Yeah. And um, 
uh, Mr. Cheney and Mr. Mr. Kestenbaum, bless their hearts, have kept infrastructure there and these big smokestacks, what have you, that could, could allow them to go that way. Nothing in their most recent report that says they're on the verge of restarting that blast furnace. That's the, we parsed them all looking for those magical words. In fact, the only good news we saw in a way was that down at the Nanticoke facility, they're going to get into cogeneration where they generate their own electricity using some of the waste products of the steel business, and uh, that could save them $20 million dollars a year. That sounds like a great thing, environmentally friendly on one hand and saves you money on the other. How can you complain about that? But that's really the holy grail here for Hamilton. Will he restart the blast furnace? If he makes an acquisition, he might not need to, but I think all of those options are on the table today. Was uh, I guess we're doing this in hindsight now, looking in the rear, <coughs> excuse me, in the rearview mirror, but when he uh, came back and said, look, I want to keep all this land. It's not surplus land anymore. I know the city was pretty upset about that. But was that an indicator uh, that, that he was here for the long haul and that he saw a future for this company? I'll say yes. Certainly what he was trying to do and still is trying to do is keep all of his options open. In this most recent quarter's press release, which was for March 31st, uh, noted that they did have a deal to sell a building or lease a building to someone who was going to do some work down there. And so he's figured out that he can maybe generate some revenue revenue from it. Uh, I, I think he just likes to keep his options open. Uh, Mr. Kestenbaum, uh, heaven forbid he takes up professional poker. He could be a very good <laughs> poker player. He likes to keep his cards close to the chest. But on the other hand, he likes to keep a full deck of cards in front of him, meaning if he wants to zig to the left or zig to the right, those things are available. And I think keeping the land, keeping the infrastructure, keeping his options open, keeping in mind as well, Bill, that you don't just run a steel company for the situation in 2019. You have to be thinking two years, four years, six years down the road. I say that to you because, of course, the other elephant in the room, so to speak, is Mr. Trump. Yep. And, of course, yep. he made steelmaking more difficult by putting these 232 tariffs on Canadian steel and Canadian aluminum just a, not quite a year ago. It was in June of last year. But Mr. Trump won't be in office forever, uh, even if he's reelected. He still won't be in office forever. And, and the thinking is cooler heads will prevail and those tariffs are going to go away, maybe sooner, maybe later. And then the, the environment changes again. So he's got to be able to roll with those punches, however they play out. You mentioned uh, Algoma as a potential partner in, in this whole situation. Uh, that's a marriage that's been talked about over the last couple of years. Been. It's been talked a lot, especially by the unions, uh, the Steelworkers Union, because they felt that... Uh, and let me again take you back to something like 2015, 2016. The feeling was that U.S. Steel, the master here in Hamilton, didn't understand what they had, wasn't running the plant efficiently. And the feeling was the same up in the Sioux with Algoma, that their masters, the people who ran that company, just were not getting the biggest value out of it. And Mr. Kastenbaum, given his history in the American metals market, uh, was seen as a bit of a white knight. And I know there were workers in both places, both in Hamilton and in the Sioux, praying that Bedrock, and Bedrock did actually kick the tires up at Algoma. They filed some papers so they could take a look and ultimately they decided that it was the Hamilton operations and Hamilton and Nanticoke operations that they wanted. But they did kick the tires and and even again, Mr. Kestenbaum and Mr. Cheney haven't actually ruled it out. They just said, well, we found our focal point here in Hamilton, so for the moment we're just going to focus here. But 
I swear to God, the, the, anything is quite possible with this gentleman. If he sees value, he finds a way to release it and, and make some money out of it. Uh, he is an American, of course, and uh, you mentioned that he may be looking south of the border for this uh, this partnership or this expansion, whatever it is going to be. Uh, what's the state of the industry? I mean, we know about Pittsburgh and U.S. Steel, mm-hmm. and, uh, but are, is there a, a smaller company that he could, he could pick off in a circumstance like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, Bill, I don't claim to know it like the back of my hand, yeah. but there are uh, big chains, big companies out there. There are big Russian, big Indian, big Chinese firms, big American firms, but there's also lots of smaller ones, and it really depends upon what he does. He, he's known as, another term I could use for you is the word flanker. He doesn't like to attack the industry head on, down the middle with everybody else. He likes to pick and choose little areas around the edges that he can compete in. Uh, and, and certainly there would be companies, the American market, uh, even though there is some investment in new capacity, is over capacity. It's only operating at about 80% of capacity. Its fortunes also was buoyed last year when the price of steel shot up to nearly $1,000 a ton. But right now it's come down to more like $820 a ton. So, you know, good times for a few months. And now it's getting back to normal times. And there might be a company available out there. Remember again that his name, though it means very little to you and I and the average Hamiltonian, carries weight in the American metals market in a way that... I, I suppose a, a Steve Jobs carried with Apple computers or a Bill Gates with Microsoft, he's whispered about in those same kinds of tones. What about this plant here? What about the uh, the, the, the operation here in Hamilton? Uh, is there any chance of expansion there, uh, make new job opportunities, anything like that? This is a healthy company now. Um, uh, <laughs> so I have to hedge my bets. Uh, a little Bill, crystal ball gazing. Well, yeah. What they've got right now in Hamilton is what I'll call finishing. They have the zinc line. They have a, a cold rolled mill, what have you. And that basically takes product made in Nanticoke and finishes it. Now, obviously, if he can get more sales, and they are interested in getting sales. In fact, in this most recent quarter, he noted they had just signed a contract with an American auto manufacturer, named not disclosed, so I can't tell you how big or small it was. But that's great news. That's sure. getting back into the big markets. Uh, so, th- yes, there could be marginally more more jobs, but the one that the holy grail jobs would be restarting that blast furnace. And unfortunately, there's nothing in the most recent quarter that hints that that's imminent that's going to happen soon. So would I be surprised to hear that they're adding 50, 60 jobs here in Hamilton? Not in the least, maybe even 100 jobs as they run another shift or add some more capacity. But at the moment, the big thing, which could see a thousand people hired, which would be restarting the blast furnace, there's just no sign of that on the horizon at the moment. He doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who's going to take this success and say, okay, now we can just go full bore here. He's, he's cautiously optimistic about this. Well, in particular, uh, and many of your listeners might appreciate this, he has a real aversion to debt. He doesn't like borrowing money, so he likes to self-finance things. The co-generation project down at, at Nanticoke is a $20 million investment, and, and it should generate savings of $20 million a year. It's pretty easy to see how you can self-finance that without taking out much of a bank loan. To re- start the blast furnace, you know, we're, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. And although this is a healthier company and it is sitting on nearly a quarter billion dollars of cash, I don't know if he'd want to divert that much away at the moment. But we'll see. And as that war chest gets built up, it will give him, again, more options to see where he wants to go. Good news for Stelco. Marvin, thanks so much for coming in. Great to have you here Glad again. to be here. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.